my peace. I want you to try to imagine a world without authority. And I want you to think about what absolute chaos would result from that. Let's imagine now there's no authority. And you're leaving here today to drive home. Now, typically when I drive, I drive on the right side of the road. I'm sure you do too. It's what we're used to. In fact, it is the law. But if there were no authority regulating that, as you're driving home, you begin to approach people who are not driving on the right-hand side of the road. They're driving on the left-hand side of the road. But, of course, that poses quite a problem. Because if you're driving on the right and they're driving on the left, you've got a head-on situation coming right at you, right? Wow, we need somebody to say, everybody drive on the right-hand side of the road. Uh, you get to a stoplight or a stop sign. You stop on red, go on green. But the guy, the other guy coming at 90 degrees to you at the intersection, he decides he stops on green and goes on red. Uh-oh, we got a big problem, don't we? Somebody needs to be able to say and you can go on talk about speed limits and other rules of the road. Somebody needs the authority to put in place rules and regulations to tell us how to act. Authority is essential. You see the point? It is not just on driving our cars. It's, it's, authority is essential in the nation. It's essential in the home. It's essential in our schools. It's essential in any business that hopes to succeed in doing anything. Authority is essential everywhere. And certainly, authority is no less. I think it is actually more important when it comes to matters of religion. Uh, of course, the reason why it's more important in religion is because it has to do with our eternal souls. Pleasing God, going to heaven when we die. The Bible, I mean, excuse me, the dictionary defines authority as, quote, legal or rightful power, a right to command, to act, dominion, jurisdiction. That's what the dictionary says authority is. In other words, authority is just that very basic idea of someone being in charge, someone with the right to tell others what to do and how to do it. That's what authority is, very simply stated. There is a Bible text that was just read for us by Hunter a few moments ago that really, I think, clearly illustrates the important need for authority in what we do religiously. Go back with, with me to that text and... Matthew chapter 7, excuse me, Matthew chapter 21, beginning verse 23. Let's read it again because there's a couple observations we want to make here. In Matthew 21, beginning at verse 23, when he was coming to the temple, the chief priests and elders of the people came to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority doest thou these things, and who gave thee this authority? And Jesus answered and said to them, I will also ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I in likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John. Which was it, from heaven or of men? And they reasoned with themselves, saying, If we shall say from heaven, he will say to us, Why did ye not then believe him? But if we shall say of men, we fear the people, for all hold that John was a prophet. And they answered Jesus and said, We cannot tell. And he said to them, Neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. By asking them the question, Jesus exposed their corrupt motives, and so he refused to engage them any further in this discussion. But what I want you to note, now remember, these were the enemies of Jesus, these Jewish rulers. They were the ones who were seeking a reason to condemn him. And so they had corrupt, corrupt motives when they came to Jesus, but actually they asked a couple of good questions. 
first of all, they asked, by what authority doest thou these things? They recognized that when it comes to religious activity, you need to have authority. And so they said, by what authority doest thou these things? That's a proper question. And they also said, who gave thee this authority? In other words, uh, you've you got to have authority. And authority has to come from one who has the right to give it. Do you see that? Let's say that right after services this morning, you go out into the parking lot, and there's a fellow out there, he's at your car, and he's stripping parts off of it right and left. He's already got the wheels and tires pulled off of it. He's in the engine compartment, and things are flying out of there. He's stripping parts off your car. What would you say to him? You'd say, hey, buddy, what are you doing there? And the guy said, I'm taking parts off this car. Your follow-up question was, who told you you could do that, right? You'd be wanting to know, by what authority are you doing that? Who gave you the authority to do that? So, again, I think it's worth noting, these were the enemies of Jesus. And they're looking for a reason to accuse him. But they ask a couple of appropriate questions. It's certainly appropriate religiously. By what authority do you do these things? Who gave you that authority? Now, there's one other thing to notice here in this important text. When Jesus countered back to them, he asked them about the baptism of John. He wants to prove they have bad motives, but he says the baptism of John, whence was it? Was it from heaven or of men? Jesus here says when it comes to religious activity, there's two sources by which we might be acting, the two sources of authority. Heavenly authority, which is the right one, of course, or the authority that men give, although they don't have the right to give it. The baptism of John, he says, was it from heaven or of men? And Jesus, therefore, showed there are only two possible sources of authority in religious matters, heaven or men. Now, obviously, we want to be seeking God's authority. And so, this morning in our lesson, we want to continue to study about Bible authority. And, and, and the very principles that Jesus set forth there in that text are the ones that we want to pursue in our study today. Again, we're in the middle of a series of lessons and we hope that we can review and be reminded of very important things concerning how to serve God. God is the one with authority, and he has the right to tell us what to do. How do we learn what God wants us to do? Thanks for being here this morning. We appreciate you very much. Cool autumn Sunday morning in Columbia, Tennessee, and we're glad that you're here to join with us in Bible study. We actually had to turn the heat on for a little while this morning to take the chill out of the air in the auditorium, but the furnace has worked. You can see the furnace has worked. That's good. And we're all comfortable and glad to be able to be together worshiping God. We're glad that you're here. Thanks for the visitors who are with us today. We appreciate your presence very much. If you have any questions about what we're doing here, what we're teaching, please ask those questions. We'll try to give you a Bible answer. Let's talk about Bible authority. First of all, let's talk about some places from which we should not be seeking our authority. Authority is not established from human sources. And probably the biggest flawed effort that men make is to use themselves as authority. We are not an authority in ourselves to do as we please religiously. You know, certainly this is a popular trend in our society, the idea that if it feels good, do it, or do your own thing. Uh, even the idea, I'm okay, you're okay, or worship at the church of your choice. All of those kinds of slogans, and you've heard them all before, certainly represent the idea that men are privileged to do as they please religiously. You are an authority in yourself. 
And you have the right to set the rules and regulations and worship God according to your whims, and he will accept it, is the idea. Of course, that is not true, and the Bible plainly states that we cannot pursue serving God at that level. In Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23, the prophet said, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his his steps. You are not capable of doing what needs to be done on your own and by your own rules. In Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, there's a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. So a very first observation is we need to rid ourselves of the idea that we have the right, the authority, to do whatever we want to do. That's not true. You couldn't prove that from the Bible if your life depended upon it. We can't pursue our religion that way. So we are not our own source of authority. But we should also point out that other men are not the right authority for religious action either. In Matthew chapter 15, verses 8 and 9, Jesus said, This people draweth nigh to me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. I want you to notice a couple of things. First of all, we've often pointed out that Jesus described the religion of the people he was talking about as being a vain religion. You understand the idea. Good for nothing. It doesn't accomplish anything. It's not working. It's in vain. Why? He says, because they teach for doctrines the commandments of men. Because they're using human basis for their religious authority, and it's no good. It won't work. It's in vain. It does not accomplish any good. And so, certainly, we, we should not be looking to other men. Now, I want to specify some of the kind of men that people use as their religious authority and prove from the Scriptures that this is not right. For instance, some people will use various preachers as their basis of religious authority. How often have you talked to someone, and maybe you're discussing some point of religious controversy, and their answer is not, the Bible says, or I read the Word of God and it told me, they'll say, my preacher says, or they might even reference some famous fellow on the TV, so-and-so on the TV said, well, I want to tell you, no man, no preacher, regardless of where he is or what his affiliation is, no man, no preacher is the proper authority in religion. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning verse 1, uh, Paul said, I charge you, he's talking to Timothy. Now, Timothy was a preacher. So the inspired apostle Paul is writing to Timothy, a preacher. What does he tell him? I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, the instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Notice, Timothy was commissioned to preach the word. Not his word, not a word, but the word. He was a preacher. And he was obligated to, to base his teaching and preaching in the Word of God. You know, when you go to hear preachers preach, you ought to be looking for that. Looking for that kind of authority from the Scripture. Because, as Peter said here in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Peter said, the reason you've got to be careful here, because they're false teachers, always have been, and they're going to be continued presence of false teachers, and they're going to be teaching bad stuff that will cause great harm. In 1 John 4, verse 1, 
The Apostle John said, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. It's our job to test that. One of the things that we hope you observe in all that is done here at College View as we teach and preach, as we have Bible classes and sermons, and as we have a gospel meeting like the one that's coming up soon, there's a great emphasis on book, chapter, and verse. When we hear preachers, we expect them to say, this is why this is true, and give us a Bible verse to demonstrate that this is actually what God wants. We're not interested in having a preacher come, and he just spends the whole time describing his own opinions about things. That's very common in religious circles these days. I've heard people describe various places that they've gone and observed the practices, and maybe the preacher makes one passing reference to a scripture in the course of a whole sermon, he might read one verse of Scripture, and that's all he ever references the Bible. i got to tell you, that's not the right basis. We're not looking for that. We're looking for book, chapter, and verse. Thus saith the Lord. Because authority doesn't come from men. It doesn't come from preachers giving us their opinion about things. Do you agree? Authority in religion doesn't come from our elders either. I don't know about you, but I've had the occasion more than once to talk to someone and uh, maybe in, in churches of Christ, you've talked to some who are attending maybe a congregation that is engaged in some things that are not scriptural. And you might challenge that person and, and their response will be, well, I don't necessarily agree with that, but the elders have decided to do this or that. Well, now, wait a minute. If it's not biblical, if it's not scriptural, the elders have no authority to do what the Bible does not authorize. Do you see that? And so we're saying, generally, no man has the right to establish religious authority, not preachers and not elders either. When Paul was speaking to the elders of the church at Ephesus in Acts chapter 20, beginning verse 28, he said, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock, also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Did you notice here that Paul said that even among these men who were elders at Ephesus, there would arise uh, erroneous doctrines uh, and false practices, uh, perverse things, Paul calls them, that would draw away disciples. What does that tell you? Those elders at Ephesus would not be flawless. They needed, and, and so they for. There is this danger even today that elders might not lead the flock as they should. They don't have the authority to tell us to do things that the Bible tells us we shouldn't do or vice versa. Certainly, religious authority does not come from elders. I would point out, too, that religious authority does not come from the majority. Uh, how, do you, how do you view religious things? Some people have the idea that if it's the accepted norm, if everybody's doing it, it must be therefore okay to do it that way. We remind you of the famous story about King Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 15. Remember, Saul had been told to go and destroy the Amalekites, who were enemies of Israel, and not to bring back any spoil from the battle. Bringing back spoil was typical, but in this case, don't bring back any spoil. Well, Saul and the, and the people brought back spoil from the battle. And so Samuel, the prophet, went out to meet them. Samuel came to Saul. Saul said to him, Blessed be thou, the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. 
And Samuel said, What meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears and the lowing of oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They, the people, have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Now, wait a minute. Samuel, said, if, if, Samuel says to Saul, If you did what you were told to do, how come I'm hearing these animals? And Saul said, Well, we did bring back some animals, and the intention is that we're going to have a great sacrifice ceremony. We're going to sacrifice these to the Lord. Now, wait a minute. What did God say to do? What was Saul commissioned by God to do? Utterly destroy the Amalekites. Well, but this is going to be a good thing. You've got to realize we're going to have this big sacrifice ceremony. It's going to be wonderful. You're going to really like it. You just wait and see. You're going to appreciate what we're doing here. Was Saul won over by that kind of reasoning? Samuel, excuse me, it was Samuel won over by Saul's reasoning. Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. And Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord in thy words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. This episode has so many lessons in it for us. But certainly we should learn that in, in this instance, the argument was, well, we didn't do exactly as we were told, but look at what a good outcome will, will result from it. We're going to have this sacrifice ceremony, and it's going to be great. Samuel makes clear that no such reasoning as that will work with God. How many people do we know today who argue that we can do it because look how much good results from it? And everybody else is doing it anyway. We should be able to do it too. That doesn't work, does it? The majority opinion about a thing does not establish what is right and wrong in the eyes of God. Let me give you one specific example that applies to us these days. Remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 22, and then also in verse 34, Paul deals with a problem that existed in the church at Corinth. He says, What have you not houses to eat and drink in? Or despise ye the church of God and shame them which have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that you come not together into condemnation, and the rest will I set in order when I come. I'm, I'm just using this one thing as a specific illustration of our point. A hundred years ago, 50 years ago, our brethren would not have imagined building a big fellowship hall with a kitchen and maybe a gymnasium. And in fact, the matter is, if anybody suggested such a thing, it, it would have been put down immediately. There's no authority for that. You can't be doing that sort of thing. Where, where's the scripture say that the church should provide for and accommodate uh, recreation, entertainment, the eating of meals together, and so forth. The only passage we have in the New Testament that talks about the church as, as, a, as a collective body coming together to do a work of eating a secular meal is condemned, right? The only passage in the New Testament that talks about it condemns it. And all of our brethren in the past would have spoken out against that. That's not the case anymore. Now it is the majority trend to have big fellowship halls and kitchens and to engage in all these kind of things. Most people are doing it. My first question would be, what changed? What changed over the last 50 years? Why was it 50 years ago folks said it was wrong, now it's okay? What changed? 
But even a, a greater question would be, should we follow the trend? The majority trend is, that's what churches are doing. Now, some would argue you've got to stay up with that. In other words, everybody's doing it. We've got to do it if we're going to be able to compete at that level. We're going to get people to come. We're going to have to do what these other churches are doing. What would you say to all that? Wouldn't you agree that this is a case where we need to stand by the principle that the majority is not setting the authority in that matter? Just because most people are doing it doesn't make it right. So again, we're talking here about places not to look for authority in religion, not ourselves, not other men. We should certainly agree that our authority has to come from God. And when we talk about the authority of God, we realize that he speaks to us through his inspired word. Some familiar passages along that line. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. He has given us everything we need, all things that pertain to life and godliness. In 2 Timothy 3, beginning verse 16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. If it's a good work and you need to be doing it, you can read about it in the Bible. You don't have to invent that on your own. He's told us everything that we need to know to be furnished unto all good works. In Revelation chapter 22, beginning verse 18, I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Don't add to this. Don't take from it. That's the rule. God's always been the rule of God. When he reveals his will to us, he does not want us mortal human beings to be tampering with that. Galatians 1, verses 8 and 9, Though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you. Let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. So we're not looking for human authority in religion. We're looking for God's authority. And the place to look is in his inspired word. We should just clarify here that when we look to the Bible for authority for our practices today, we're looking to the New Testament and not to the Old Testament. The Old Testament contained a law of God for a people in time past, but not for us today. The Old Testament, as a basis of law, has been abolished. We do not serve God today by virtue of the things told in the Old Testament. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 14 and 16, it says, Blotting out the handwriting ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing to his cross. Jesus nailed those old handwritten ordinances to his cross, What's the result of that? Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days. We don't live by that law anymore. Uh, there are some who want to go back to the Old Testament to pick up authority for certain of their religious practices. Well, you can't do that. If you're going to go back to the Old Testament, what's, on what basis would you pick out one thing and not something else? The Old Testament, for instance, had dietary restrictions. There are certain kinds of meat that you couldn't eat. Those of us who like pork bar barbecue would be out of luck if we were living by the Old Testament law of Moses, can't eat pork. 
There were a lot of rules and regulations of the Old Testament. They have all been taken out of the way, nailed to the cross of Jesus. Therefore, we are not obligated in regards to the kind of food we can eat, uh, various feast days that were to be kept. Even the Sabbath days of the Old Testament have been abolished. We don't live under that law anymore. In Galatians chapter 3, beginning verse 24, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we're no longer under the schoolmaster. This is pretty plain, isn't it? The Old Testament law was a schoolmaster. We're no longer under the schoolmaster. How can you miss that? Now, this passage is talking about the important purpose that the Old Testament served. That Old Testament law of Moses had a very important purpose to prepare and bring the time to fruition in which Christ would come to be the Savior of the world. But now it has accomplished its purpose. Sometimes people will ask us, why then do you still reference the Old Testament? Or why would you even read the Old Testament or study it? We often do, of course. We did in our Bible study just this morning. We're studying Old Testament uh, text in our Sunday morning study. Why? Well, 1 Corinthians 10, 11, Paul says, Now all these things happen to them, for example, and they're written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world come. There's still value to studying those things. It's still an inspired message from God, but it's not our law to live by today. We need to understand that. All right, we're talking about Bible authority. God has authority. He's the one who has the right to tell us how things are to be done. We need to adhere to that authority. We're we're beginning to investigate how we go about establishing that authority. We're going to continue our study this evening. But there is a, a very important reason to be considering these things. There's a lot of division and controversy in the religious world. Why is it? Why is it that one group does one thing, another does something different? I mean, all sorts of variation among those who identify themselves as Christians. How is that so? Well, the reason why it is so is because men have done a miserable job of understanding and applying Bible authority. It's very important for us to have a basic working knowledge of these things. We hope you'll continue to study with us uh, as we go along here. Thanks for for your close attention to what we said this morning. As we bring the lesson to a close, we're going to sing a song of invitation. It may be that someone here this morning, you've been considering your situation. You realize you're not right with God. Maybe you've never even yet become a Christian by obeying that simple gospel plan of salvation. Hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized. If that's the case, we would urge you to make that decision and do it quickly without delay. If you're not a Christian, you're ready to obey the gospel, let us know. If you want more Bible study along those lines, say a word. If you're a Christian already, but you've fallen away, we beg you to come back in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help, let us know while we stand and sing this song.